Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Straver, Mike Palmer along with you. And on today's episode, we're taking a look at the recent report card for our nation's education system, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, the NAEP. Mike, how are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the nation's report card. So like, uh, you know, I think report cards are somewhat triggering for many of us, uh, you know, either on good or bad. There's not too many people who are like, yeah, report cards came and I was like, whatever, you know, is there's the people who are like, I love report card day. It's like my favorite day of the year. Other people are like, oh man, report cards. How do you turn letters into other, other letters? <laughs> you know, and I hope, I hope the folks are, are in a good mood tonight, you know? So, uh, so, this, the NAEP, NAEP has been called uh, the nation's report card. And uh, I think that's an interesting framing for, uh, for the, this story, uh, which is, you know, our scores are down a bit versus uh, the last time we got our report card, which was two years ago. Um, so I think that's why it got some news. Uh, and there were some statements out of the uh, Department of Education, Betsy DeVos, um, you know, there's a prepared statement that we'll share, which includes the actual results of the NAEP. I'm going to call it the NAEP. There's a diphthong in there, but I'm going to call it uh, NAEP. Dan, is that okay? I, I th yeah, I'm on board. Okay. Uh, not to be confused with the NEEP, which would be like the NEEP tide, uh, which I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> that's, that's something else. A different show. Different show. Uh, fun with fun with language. Uh, neap tide is when the the high tide and the low tide are uh, the difference between high and low tide is the least uh, possible. So like lots of times if you have a a boat docked, you need a high tide to actually get it out. So like a boat can be neaped in that uh, the high tide doesn't get quite so high. So uh, so but anyway, uh, Betsy DeVos, the Department of Education is uh, helping make this national report card uh, zeitgeisty. And uh, I think that's a good reason for us to, to talk about it. And it also, as we were prepping, Dan, like I thought it was interesting to think back to when we covered one of our very early shows uh, when, uh, when Betsy DeVos was being confirmed, uh, there were conversations about the difference between growth and proficiency uh, which I think is still relevant to this conversation. So like, um, how do you know based on these scores uh, whether students are actually improving or is this more reflective of how many students are proficient in a particular uh, school or type of school? I think that that level of critical um, analysis is important because uh, I think it's pretty easy to get sloppy with your logic here and start saying based on this um you know i personally would disagree with some of uh the further takes that uh betsy devos has put out um about how you know this is what happens when government uh, gets involved in anything and you know education is just like that i think that's a that that's a little bit of you know lazy reasoning uh so uh, i think there's a lot for us uh to, to dig into on this. Uh, and then also just the narrative around the nation's report card, uh, I think is, a, is an interesting thing. It's why this got a, it's got a decent uh, amount of press within the last few weeks. So, so we thought it was uh, you know, worth talking about. 
Yeah, good point there. I think we talked back on our Varsity Blues most recent episode about why the media picks up on certain things. And when Brandon was here previously talking about education, it was with the Parkland shooting that we talked about. This was a major event that got education on the forefront. And now we've seen a pretty steady drumbeat around education on the front page. You shared with me the Wall Street Journal front page had, again, Varsity Blues on it. And now this story one, there's a negative here, and the media does at times tend to harp on the more negative aspect of stories. So reading down math slightly up is the general gist of these, this report card. 294, 296,000 students, depending on which side of the test, took part uh, in 2019 in this testing. And uh, there were drops in the reading side and uh, analysis therein of why are we not progressing on the reading side, slight gains on the math side. Again, this is fourth and eighth graders who are being tested uh, on the proficiency. I will point out, according to multiple different sources, the NAP standards are higher than your typical state-by-state -state standards when it comes to uh, up here in Massachusetts, the MCAS or, or the variety of different standardized tests that are, are testing proficiency uh, at each school level. So that is something to think about as well, of how we're using the NAP as a uh, standard and, and how we're testing against other tests. But I do think uh, the DeVos comments, the fact it's being covered makes it a, a very good topic for us to dive into on, on multiple levels. But if you look through, Mike, it does seem since 1990, there's pretty good progress, right? So if we take the, the whole of the data we have, there's been pretty good progress over 30 some odd years. Now, that's a large sample of students. It's a large sample of people moving through these schools. But there has been improvement. If we take the small sample, 2017 to 2019, that's where we see less than stellar increases. It does seem like it's a, it's a, a statistical problem. It's what numbers are we looking at and how are we using them to tell the story we want to tell? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what is what are the what's the scoring criteria for our national report card? Like, like has it changed over that 30-year span too? Like, how do you define? what the standards are. There's some interesting um, conversations about the nature of this assessment versus other assessments, to your point, um, to say like, is that a valid uh, way to assess these, these proficiencies, uh, these competencies, and are the company, competencies themselves that these tests are, measure, are measuring are they the right ones? Uh, you know, should we be looking at reading and math and should we be testing reading and math in the way that these tests are designed? Those are all really interesting questions. Like they're not really, um, it doesn't seem like the, the top level understanding of this really wants to go much deeper. It's sort of like, let's just stay at that surface level. And that was sort of my point about to go from this data set to then say, and that's why we need more charter schools is, uh, and I, I, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm somewhat agnostic about charter schools. I think it's a very complex conversation. It's one that we've been trying to represent uh, both sides, all angles on uh, a really complex idea. But like, to me, this is an example of why I think the, the, the statistics and the way you measure uh, things uh, can allow folks to portray uh, something like charter schools as better than they actually are. Uh, so like if you're assessing how many of our, how many of our fourth graders or eighth graders are at or above grade level, a lot of that is based on 
who those students are when they walk into your classroom. It's not really based on have they learned anything while they've been with you. Right. And in the case of charter schools, I think while I think there's, it's true that there are many students who really thrive in that environment and outperform what would have been their expectations had they not had access. I think that the data generally backs that up. I think the flip side is also true that by virtue of not providing access to kids who need different kinds of help to grow, you know, get back to the growth versus proficiency idea, when you're measuring something and your report card is just about hitting that criteria, you know, a school that only allows kids who are scoring well on these things in will be seen as a great example of an amazing school when uh, in some ways they've just shown that they have a, a really good way of getting students in mm -hmm. who they know will perform well on this, which is why if the, the school and the nation was more measured on growth, meaning regardless of where you are top to bottom, are you improving? And, uh, you know, it's sort of the one size fits none idea that I like to come back to, like, you know, teaching reading to someone who's in the, like the bottom quartile is very different from teaching reading to, uh, you know, kid in fourth grade who's reading at the seventh or eighth grade level. You know, there's value to being expert and focused on any of those flavors. Same thing for kids in the middle, you know, but, uh, but generally the way this thing works out is a lot of the energy is going to be focused on uh, the kids just below the, the proficiency criteria and how do we push them across so that they're treated as being proficient at or above. If you're already way above, we don't care. And if you're too far to really get to the appropriate proficiency level, right. we're not really going to focus our resources there. And uh, I think that's why a lot of, you know, that's why heck, I was joking. That's why, we've sort of left behind, no child left behind. Um, it's because I, I, I think some of the assumptions built into the whole intervention um, were kind of flawed because I don't think we really understood exactly how to get the level of personalization. Uh, it's a place where computer adaptive testing is also important, where if you can have like something personalized and longitudinal, you know, can you understand whether this student is growing and are, are they advancing at the, uh, uh, at the, the maximum rate for them? Um, I think that level of thinking doesn't translate into easy uh, uh, headlines and things where, you know, the national report card, the national report card would always be, it's complicated, you know, right. and people want to know, no, did we pass? Did we fail? And it'd be like, do you have 45 minutes? Because I'm going to walk you through some really interesting charts. Well, yeah. Uh, you know? But I, th I think that's a, a large part of, I, I'm going to forget the lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? The, that quote, it, statistics, uh, personal background, I work a lot in fantasy sports, and you can shape the narrative whatever way you want with numbers if right. you're being honest. Like, you can really make things work whatever way you can. And when you have numbers like this that are, a small sample when you think of how many students are actually in school one you know 296 against 296,000 against how many students are are participating in school each and every day but i think also to your point about charter schools versus public schools versus homeschool kids how are we putting them into cohorts how are we determining what school or what city or what town or what jurisdiction how we're tracking all those things and each of these tests are different 
right? So we're getting different data sets and we're not necessarily able to compare them as easily as we might here on the show want to, to get a better understanding of how are we actually doing? How are we moving things forward? Totally. I mean, and, and how does this relate to ideas like, um, diversity of thought? Uh, we've talked about neurodiversity too. Like, you know, there are places where the personalization for, you know, each individual can and should be much better than it is. But there are also places where the group process of a very wide ranging set of approaches, mindsets, uh, neurologies, um, I think that all ultimately leads to better group dynamics and uh, things that are very difficult to assess on a standardized test, but stuff that's increasingly relevant to the jobs of the future, you know? So like, can you collaborate effectively? Like if you're reading something, uh, can you then facilitate a conversation with your friends about it? You know, like, can you find, if you find something interesting, can you find more stuff of your own sort of initiative too, like, because another trend that's really interesting, particularly with, uh, with Gen Z, uh, you know, I think we're going to be trying to talk more about this is like how they watch YouTube Mm -hmm. and how uh, they go down that rabbit hole where the algorithm is just sending, sending them the next thing to look at. Um, You know, how do you, how do you teach kids to, um, you know, both assess the, you know, via like the digital literacy, like, what could I learn from this report? And then uh, once I understand the best way to analyze the data and have a critical perspective on it, does that then inform me to the point that I can do something different with that information and I can actually be better? I can sort of grow as a learner um, in, in how I engage. Those types of things are more like next level thinking. This is, um, it's sort of like an old school the fact that it has all that longitudinal data almost has it tethered to uh, like older ideas around uh, competencies, uh, reading and math. Um, reading and math, they are fundamentals. So like that, you know, I, I heard that somewhere. At least yep. but, uh, but I think there's, you know, what should be included and what shouldn't, you know, like even in math curriculum, you know, like there's so much controversy now around some of the new math techniques that are out there. Uh, there's a big push now into uh, statistics and probability. Uh, I've heard sort of the jury's out a bit on calculus, depending on who you talk to. Hashtag team, uh, team calculus uh, sitting here. I'm a big fan of calculus. But, uh, but trigonometry, people are like, ah, you don't need trigonometry. And like some of that evolves as the educational philosophy uh, or the philosophy around like, how do you teach these concepts uh, and then also what concepts are most relevant to sort of the evolution of our society that's, that's really accelerating right now. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting time to be thinking about that. Cause like, I always wonder like, you know, when we were talking a bit uh, to the, the Fendersons uh, about the, the unlikely uh, film that they just did, uh, the name of the film is unlikely. Uh, the film itself may also be unlikely. I'm not sure. But um I think the fact that, uh, well, A, they talked a lot about how the uh, selectivity around these schools do sort of bias the results. Um, That was another uh, front page Wall Street Journal article this week was, uh, 
you know, how the college board uh, has been selling leads uh, to universities. Right. I think 47 cents a lead. Uh, and then frequently that's done in a system where the university will then send out to more applicants uh, than they know they can accept. And then also to applicants who they know won't be able to get in so that they're perceived as more selective, which bumps them up in their rankings. So like, to me, you can manipulate these um, selection criteria, the metrics, um, you know, it's almost like the, the facticity or the truthiness of numbers. So like once you put something out there that, yep. that has some uh, patina of science, because they're numbers, it's like, you know, a survey suddenly becomes numbers when it's really just people's opinions and people reporting on how they may behave in the future. It's not a hard number. Um, in the case of these uh, NAEP exams, I think they are, as to the best of my knowledge, and you know, this is the type of thing we were talking about, maybe bringing in other experts around uh, the psychometrics and the assessment design that goes into something like the, the this exam. Um, to the best of my knowledge, they're, they're, they're reliable instruments. They're, act, they're measuring genuine things. And at a macro level, um, the trend seems to be moving in a good direction over a longer time horizon. And then we've seen a little bit of dip in our uh, reading scores in the last two years. Um, I think that's, that's, that's relevant and in proper context, that's information that can make us all smarter about how we think about education and educational policy. I think the problem is more that treated as sort of a hallowed fact, you know, settled science that our report card was bad. Therefore, we should allow for more charter schools and, you know, we should provide less funding to our public school system, you know, we at Kaplan take pride in teaching people how to perform well on critical reasoning exams. Like that's, that's an inference you can't really make from that evidence. Right. Um, and, uh, or to make that in, to make that, a, a that the leap to that conclusion, there's assumptions that really don't hold uh, within there. That being said, it brings us back to the conversation about charter schools, which, uh, which also made me think about when we were talking to uh, Robert uh, Pondicio about Success Academy and how the other half learns. You can't deny that there are uh, really remarkable results for some students in those contexts. So this gets back to, uh, you know, our score is like an incomplete. It's a, you know, our relationship status. With it's a maybe. Our, our, our relationship <laughs> status with our uh, national report card is it's complicated, you know, so um, it, it, it's also frustrating too. I mean, what I, what I do pick up under all of this is just sort of like the, uh, the frustration of really just about everybody about how we're not really achieving our aspirations around our, our educational systems and, uh, and just sort of this yearning for more in terms of, uh, you know, learning across all contexts, but then specifically when, uh, when our children are involved, you know, there's the hope that, you know, I believe the children are our future, Dan. I don't know if you know that. I was waiting. I was yeah, waiting. Know, I'd, I'd get there eventually. But, uh, but like, 
it is true. Like, and, and I think there's a lot of, you know, we, you know, Brandon, uh, you know, coined the whole kid solving idea. Uh, we've been seeing that can really for quite some time now. And, uh, you know, the, particularly around climate change now, like that's really bubbled back up again. So like they picked, you know, they picked up after Parkland, it was school safety. And then now there's, um, you know, going, uh, you know, the, the climate change and uh, really try to activate even folks who don't vote yet to become politically active uh, through their right to free speech and to assemble and to, to do all the things that, that make a democracy great. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, but, uh, but that's also paired with this sort of idea that we're not giving them the right uh, educational foundation to help them really solve these problems that we know we're not going to solve for them. Right. So like, I think there is an element of frustration that then manifests with like the red team, blue team dynamic that I think ultimately winds up being damaging because uh, the conversation just becomes, you know, the, you know, who can express their outrage in the most creative, expressive, viral way. And it's not really how do we wrestle with these problems and um, explore different solutions. And that's generally why for me, uh, it's obviously a funding problem at the end of the day, but the idea that we can be more experimental around different modes to see how the different modes um, drive performance and then how we measure performance I think needs to become much more blown out. I mean, you were talking about fantasy sports, like the level of metrics that we get for uh, daily fantasy as an example, or if you're, you know, you're trading stocks, like the, the level of metrics that we get in those capacities, I've talked a lot about saver learning over the years, but like, why don't we have that around uh, uh, ourselves, but also the, the, the rising generations who we're hoping will be equipped with the tools that will solve these massive problems that we may not be able to solve ahead of them. Yep. Um, I think it just, I know I get frustrated just because like, I, I, I feel like it's a solvable problem, but it's so big and so systemic uh, that I think you have to, you almost just have to look at, look at it through very like narrow focus it, foci uh, to make sure uh, you understand what that actually means and, you know, how actionable or any of the insights that you might get from what you're seeing here. And I think in the case of this, um, it seems somewhat cautionary just about reading, really. Like, and, right. and I think that that probably is the most actionable thing. Like, you know, maybe something for us to look into too. Like, what's emerging in the research around uh, reading, reading education, reading curriculum? Uh, you know, I know Larry Rudman, who's been on the show uh, in the past. Uh, He's like, there are people like him who spend a ton of time uh, in the research community trying to understand how do we learn how to read? How do kids learn how to read? Mm -hmm. um, how do we teach them? How much of it is also um, gets back to the social emotional thing too. Like how do we make reading not a chore, but a, a present, you know, like a, a, a gift. Uh, I think that's sort of the, maybe that's the way to get out of the, the muck 
and start to think, okay, what is, what does this really say? Let's, you know, charter school is really interesting conversation. We could dig into it and bring in other folks to, to go there. But I think to look at these results and then to say, I told you so, mm -hmm. the department that I'm responsible for it in terms of the public education is not performing. Therefore we should fund more private uh, charter uh, experiments. I just find that to be um, a distractor and I, I really don't want to go there. I would rather tr rather understand regardless of how you get your curriculum into your school, at the end of the day, there are teachers across uh, children's lives who are teaching them how to read. There are parents, myself, I have a 10 month old. How do I teach him how to read? Like what's the right thing uh, to show them? And then how do I build a love of learning uh, which in many ways is based on a love of reading uh, into my kid. Uh, and then same thing around uh, math, you know, like there's hope there. And uh, we haven't really done a deeper dive on uh, math education. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I've loved being at Kaplan all these years is like it allows me to stay engaged around math and math education. And, um, you know, that's somewhat heartening, frankly, like that, you know, there's a lot of concern that we're falling behind on STEM and that our math education is bad. So like the idea that it's basically flat, maybe scooching up a bit, um, that's better than the story around reading. Um, and then that's not even covering this beyond math and reading. What would our national uh, report card be on the other competencies that are, are relevant, um, you know, in, uh, in say like K-12 education? Um, I think going, moving in that direction to me feels like where I'd want to go. And I would recommend to our, our listeners is, you know, uh, we'll be sharing out the link to the, uh, the initial, uh, it's very, it's a quick uh, press release from uh, the Department of Education, and then you can access the, uh, the reports themselves. If you have some time and you are uh, a critical thinker who wants to go to primary sources, um, that's what I tried to do a little bit um, in prep for this show. Uh, and then uh, that's where, sadly, I landed on it's complicated, you know, right. like. Well, I mean, I, I think that's the takeaway at times. We need to do more. We need to research more. We need to learn more and, and really break this down further. I will say there's a good USA Today article uh, about the NAEP as well uh, that I thought made a good point about we're still on theories of why reading is not excelling, like, what, like what's happening. And obviously, I think from my point of view, we can all say coming up with a single solution for a country of this size is going to be difficult. I, I think that's a very simplistic way to look at it, but is, is honest and true. Um, what I do find interesting in this article from USA Today is they discuss the difference between phonics and fluency. And that maybe at times in elementary schools, those focus uh, actually become combative and how teachers go about their curriculum and how they go about instructing and, and uh, teaching the act of reading. And to your point, making it more of a present and more of a, hey, let's enjoy yeah. this than having to be a learned thing. You need to do this and we need to move on uh, right. is an interesting thought process. And I'll say this just because I found it interesting of what you were saying. In that article, there's a link to another article as they do for SEO and for clicks. And, and there's now a belief that parents of uh, 
young you know, babies and, and uh, pre-K should say over a million words to their child throughout those formative years. Yep. And there's now a word pedometer app where you yep. can track how many words you're using with your kids. So um, maybe that maybe that's part of the answer. Christmas, but Christmas is coming, Dad. <laughs> The, the, the uh, trending education secret Santa is very minimal in the opportunities for gift giving, but we can figure that out. Um, nonetheless, I, I find this stuff fascinating. And from the statistical analysis of it all, how are we applying these statistics? What are we measuring? And then are we asking the question of the why? Why is this happening? And how do we fix it if it needs to be fixed? Or how do we accelerate if we need to move forward faster? And I think you hit on a lot of the key stuff of how do, we, how do we churn forward? How do we make things better? Not just use this as a way to say, oh, I was right. We need to look in this direction. And that's for anybody, any use case of statistics. Yeah, how do, I'm thinking of this like, just how do, you, how do we elevate the conversation? Right. Um, and while also, which, which I think it all just requires time, you know? So I think you need time to go into this with some depth um, on the one hand. And then I also think you need time to kind of uh, take a step back from the what's hot right now and what is zeitgeisty, what is uh, what is likely to go viral, what is likely to get to get extra clicks, and like where how do you facilitate conversations that are not about that? They're actually long form. They're you know it's like uh, you know the slow food movement. You know rather than the the fast hot take. How do you allow your take to kind of mature and to be informed by like the discourse you're engaging in? And, um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're trying to do that here, but we would also love if folks out there have thoughts, like where, where do you go to, to find the, um, the level of conversation that you think is rewarding? Um, you know, I do see, I see a lot of this in academia, but, but I also do, there's the, the challenge of translation and, practical application of the academic research. Uh, and then on the flip side, I think it's, it's probably happening in classrooms, but classrooms can be very isolated uh, places. So like, you know, an interesting way to think about this is like, if you're, uh, you're teaching K through four or five through eight, and how do you, how do you find time to, you know, teach math and reading and also like model a love of those things and uh, allow for the diversity of levels within your classroom? Uh, how do you find the time to uh, give both ends of the bell curve as well as the, the chunky middle, uh, the time that, that they all deserve? Um, those are the real conversations that, that we'd love to, to get into. Um, but it's also, you know, we frequently, like it's like the, the Venus flytrap, you know, like you gotta have the, the, the clickbait to kind of get people yeah. in. And uh, sadly, like, you know, and I'm trying not to be too political, but it does feel like our Department of Education is almost being intentionally provocative here. And uh, I'm trying real hard not to take the bait. I'm trying to take the bait in that this is a time for us to reflect on these scores and the state of our uh, educational system, particularly as it relates to teaching our kids math and reading uh, and let's explore from there without necessarily trying to get into the I told you so or this is what this means. Like the, the conversation about uh, charter schools and some of the problems in public schools, 
that by no means will be settled. And I think that's just something that we need to continue to grapple with. But I think we also have to resist like going right there right away mm -hmm. just to kind of to engage in the the the, the kind of crazy over there. I think it's more like there's some sobering news in these uh, scores. And then what kind of interventions are showing the most progress and are, and can they scale better? Uh, and then also how do we support our educators? Uh, which uh, I was happy to see uh, the Chicago teacher strike um, get resolved. But like at the end of the day, um, that's really, it's parents and, uh, you know, K through eight teachers who really are the voices we should be hearing uh, around how to, you know, where are we now? What are the real problems to solve and how can we get better? I think sadly, a lot of it winds up being um, almost like a, a political conversation right. uh, and one that's also quite bureaucratic in nature. Uh, when at the end of the day, kids learn, learn to read and they learn to love math probably by being someone else, being with someone else who cares about them, who wants to convey love of those things to them, whether it's a teacher, a family member, a friend, a mentor. You know? or, or you could be my daughter where I don't read at all and she read, has already read more books in her life than I ever have. So right. <laughs> there's that too. Things just work out sometimes in nature. Not to, we didn't even talk about ear reading. Right. You know, so like if if we were to like translating some of the reading comprehension to listening comprehension, if we want to talk about that, uh, reminds Absolutely. me a little bit of like typing versus handwriting, you know, and what are the neurological implications, uh, neurochemical, neurodevelopment um, related to um, to those kinds of things. Those are certainly interesting. But uh, but I think uh, I think we're going to leave our audience wanting more as always. Uh, likes to say. Yeah. I think uh, there's lots to come back to here. Lots of discussion points uh, with data, hopefully to back it up as we go through. And if you have topics related to this or articles that you've seen that you want to share, find us on Twitter at Trending and Ed. Same on Facebook. You can also find more information at trendingandeducation.com. We are also on LinkedIn. Love to hear from uh, folks who are over there who would like to appear on the show or just have an opinion on the show. So linkedin.com slash trending in education. With all that said, we'll be back each and every week, sometimes twice a week, giving you our views on learning and education right here on Trending in Education.